gracious. Yep. How about that? With the second pick in the 2011 NFL Draft, the Denver Broncos select Von Miller, linebacker, Texas A&M. He's the greatest ever, huh? And then I just wanted when you got all the advantages. Welcome to the Aggie War Pod, a product of Dave Campbell's Republic of Football Podcast Network. I am your co-host, Mike Craven, senior writer at DCTF. The other voice you'll hear on this podcast is a barbecue-eating machine who won't shy away from a road trip or an off-key rendition of Creed. The former fighting Texas Aggie defensive lineman arrived in College Station as a three-star prospect back in 2013. He now resides in Houston, Texas, but his heart never left. Ladies, gentlemen, Reveille, I present the one... The only Jay Arnold. And and Mike, this is a little bit bittersweet because we uh we're done with college football for the year. I mean, we still have stuff to talk about, but it, it's it's a lot harder when there aren't actual games on the television. Yeah. Turning the page, turning the page on what was an up and down 2023. I I know it wasn't good all the time on the football field. I think Texas AM is in better spot right now than they were on January 10th of last year. And so we'll chalk 2023 up to necessary growing pains to get this program uh, back on the right track. In this episode, uh, we will talk about the transfer portal, the the comings, the goings. Jay and I will draft our, our five favorite uh, or our five most important impact guys that are coming in from the portal, kind of discuss some of those, just kind of a way to give you an idea of some of the big names there. And second down, we'll look at the staff. It, it's pretty much complete. Mike Elko's first staff. Texas A&M mostly, mostly done there, at least on the, the on-field position. So we'll talk about those. And third down, look at bowl season. You know, we'll talk a little bit about the Oklahoma State win over Texas A&M in the bowl in the Texas Bowl. Also, you know, Michigan winning the national championship. How do we fix bowl season? Is it even broken? And then in fourth down, we will ask Jay some questions, including his first glance expectations of 2024. Before we get going, uh, please rate, subscribe. Tell a friend, share on social networks, all the things uh, that you can do to help grow the podcast. We had a great year one, hoping for a great year two. If you would like to help us grow by advertising one of these downs or the guest of the week or whatever you would like to do uh, to participate, please let one of us know. You can get a hold of us on Twitter um, and, and talk to us there or through email, mike.craven at texasfootball.com. Our first, our first uh, advertiser is Homefield Apparel. Uh, Jay was at a pretty big event on January 6th. I'm not going to go any more into that event that you're at on January 6th, but Jay, Jay was at a big thing on January 6th, uh, sponsored by Homefield Apparel. If you have never ordered from Homefield Apparel and you need some Aggie gear or gear from across the country, use promo code WHOOP, W-H-O-O-P, for 15% off your first order. I almost made that through without laughing. He was at a split zone duo uh, podcast party that looked a lot of fun. I've had the flu. I got back from New Orleans. You're always going to bring something back from New Orleans. Uh, unfortunately for me, it was the flu. Or maybe fortunately. Maybe that's as good as I could have hoped for uh, coming back from New Orleans after the new year. I, I got back from the new uh, from the Sugar Bowl uh, with the flu, still kind of recovering, wasn't able to make it to the national championship game or that split zone duo uh, uh, podcast event. So first off, how was that? That seemed like a lot of fun and a lot of like internet friend become real in life type situation yeah it was a blast uh i mean so the only guy the split zone duo that i'd met so far uh was was godfrey i met him at an lsu tailgate uh but 
Kirshner and, and Richard Johnson, those guys, all of them are hilarious and all of them are super knowledgeable uh, yeah. about college football and the workings. And, you know, those guys put a lot of effort into everything they do. But I mean, the humor of it too is just fantastic. Uh, and then uh, Ryan Nanny uh, from uh, Shutdown Fullcast, some of you may know, uh, hopped up on stage and went through a, a full on circle of suck for all 133 FBS teams which was one of the <laughs> highlights of the show. Basically, if you're not familiar what a circle of suck is, it's uh, every team beating each other. Like it's a, it's an Ouroboros of, mm-hmm. of losses. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. But yeah, like you said, a lot of internet people. I mean, there was folks from The Athletic there. Uh, Shahan Jayaraja was there from uh, CBS Sports. Uh, so there's a lot of media folks there. I mean, it, it's a blast of a time. So if Sports Undo manages to like come to your city, I would highly suggest you go uh, because it, it it will be a heck of an evening for you and you'll get a lot of laughs and, and a lot of knowledge on college football. Yeah, probably my favorite college football podcast. Uh, know Richard Johnson pretty well from just sharing press boxes with him a lot during that TCU run. Uh, ran into each other a lot last year during that, during that run. So uh, enjoy that podcast. Enjoy their overall just cynic attitude on college football because I also take that. Like, I don't know Stephen Godfrey, but I feel like I do. Uh, because we share a lot of the uh, the same ideas about what college football is and what it's not. Uh, love the narrative part of it. And so uh, enjoy the podcast. I- I'm glad you were able to get there. I am jealous I was not able to. Uh, getting into our show on first down, let's talk about the transfer portal. According to 24-7, again, we're recording this around noon on January 10th. By the time you hear this, maybe this number has grown by 30. I don't know. Like the way the transfer portal uh, changes every single day. It could be a number. So don't get married to the numbers we use here. But right now on 24-7, there's 21 incoming transfers, 23 outgoing transfers. Before we start talking about the individuals incoming, I wanted to ask you, uh, overall, do you think the players that are coming in are better than the ones that are leaving? And secondly, is that even the right question to ask when looking at roster management, roster construction, and a new staff kind of building their first roster? So for the first question, I, I mean, overall, I would say that the guys uh, A&M is bringing in are probably from a strictly recruiting rating scale, not as good as some of the ones leaving, uh, especially when you have guys like Evan Stewart and Walter Nolan uh, in the portal. Uh, but as for the second part of the question, right, I, I agree. I don't think asking if... Uh, the incoming is better than the outgoing is necessarily the right question. I think you have to look at fit. Uh, I think you have to look at, you know, just kind of the motivational factors there, uh, cultural aspects. Uh, there's a lot of things that go into building a roster. And I think honestly, like with who won the national championship this year in Michigan, where I think it's kind of a cultural roster. I think you see some of the benefits of having guys that, fit what you want to do at your program as far as uh you know not just getting the highest talent available uh and i I think that's something that was part of the issue with the jimbo fisher uh era was was just getting talent instead of having a plan where it feels like mike elko has a plan of of what he wants to accomplish what he wants this roster to be and it feels like the portal acquisitions that texas a&m has made so far fit that plan that's exactly right. That 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 is my thought process as well. It's like talent obviously matters. I, I would love to line up on a football field on Saturday and have more talent than you. 
But we see every single week rosters with more talent get beat by teams that are just better. The team matters more. The fit matters more. What you do for this system matters more. And what you are ranked as as a 17-year-old can be predictive, but it's not a guarantee, right? Like Denver Harris is a five-star player on paper. He's not a five-star player on your roster. He's just not. Through two stops, you can you can go ahead and, and dictate that, right? You can you can say that out loud. And so, uh, yeah, losing Walter Nolan stinks. Losing Evan Stewart stinks. Losing LT Overton stinks. Uh, but if these guys are bought in and come in and fit the the scheme that AM wants to run, a lot of those guys that are coming in have a couple years. They're not all just like grad transfer, one and done dudes. A lot of them have two or three years of eligibility left. And so I feel like Elko is building a roster in his image. And I think the best teams in college football are built in the roster or built in the image of their leader, of their head coach. Jim Harbaugh, a perfect example of that. Um, and so uh, I think so far, so good. I would give Elko an A, maybe even an A plus on what he's been doing in the transfer portal. It's, it's been pretty awesome. The edge players that are leaving aren't as good as the edge players coming in. The cornerbacks that are leaving aren't as good as the cornerbacks coming in. So you can look at a few positions of real need and go, they're hitting on those. Maybe not the baseline overall, you add them all up. Maybe the stars aren't the same, uh, but I think the impact on the field is going to be greater than the impact lost on the field. Um, so let's get into kind of the guys that are coming in. Like I said, uh, right now, Texas A&M has 21 uh, incoming transfer portal guys listed that number is probably going to grow and to remember to remind everybody out here this isn't done they're going to go through a spring semester they're going to go through spring practice and then there's going to be another transfer portal window where you're able to kind of see guys on the football field and then go band-aid cherry pick some dudes uh if you if you get there and you go man we need more guards or oh man we need more outside line but whatever the case may be you can go and get those in that second transfer portal window i wanted to do instead of just kind of like listing a guy and then talking about why we think he was good. I thought it would be fun to kind of do a, a draft. You pick a guy, then I'll pick a guy of just like who you would take as the number one, either overall just best player or a guy that you think is going to make the most impact of these 21 transfers so far. Jay, since it is mostly your show, you are the face of Aggie Warpod. I will give you the first pick. <laughs> and I appreciate that. Uh, you know, for my first pick, I'm probably going with what will be an obvious pick for most people uh, when you look at the commits here. Uh, I'm going with Nick Scorton from from Purdue. Uh, he was, first of all, he's a, he's a local guy, right? He went to Bryan High School, so he's coming back home. Uh, but he's also the Big Ten sack leader. Yeah. Uh, and, and that kind of production at the Power 5 level is massive. Uh, you, you can't really, like... You can't really quantify how much of a difference that'll make, uh, but but let's look at like last year, A and M had to blitz to to secure sacks, uh, you know, it, and they did get pressure, but having that true edge rusher makes a difference, and even if like let's say uh, Fadil Diggs hadn't transferred, I, I still think getting Scorton in is a massive win. Uh, for Texas A&M, and I think it was a no-brainer uh, to try to get him to to come home to the Bryan College Station area. Uh, and again, the production, everything about this is just an absolute win in my book. 
Yeah, I knew him as Nick Carraway when he was a uh, when he was a recruit coming out. Uh, a really good football player has gotten huge. He's like 280 pounds uh, coming off the edge. Uh, this may be blasphemy, but he's got like Demarvin Leal in him in terms of just that that size. But he can move in space. He doesn't look like a three technique, right? He can get on the edge and really go get you. How big were you during your playing days? What was your playing weight? Yeah, so. Uh... I fluctuated a little bit, right? Uh, Man, me I too. Started... I fluctuate as well. <laughs> Who doesn't in college? <laughs> uh, it, whether you're playing sports or not. Sure. Uh, but I started as a, as a freshman. Uh, I kind of moved inside, uh, bulked up to 280. Uh, and then as the season went on, I moved back outside to end, and I dropped down to like 265. Uh, and then my sophomore year, I was interior three-tech all the way. So I was about 285, 290. Uh, when I was playing at AM. and uh, and you know, I'm a, three techniques going to be a little bit lighter than a nose, uh, but not as, as light as an end. Uh, and of course it also depends on how you carry the weight, right? Right. Like, uh, a miles Garrett at, at two seventy five looked a lot better than a Jay Arnold at two seventy five. if I'm being a hundred percent honest. Uh, but yeah, that, that was my weight in my playing days. And again, you, you add or lose as needed. And that's why you have all those incredible nutritionists on staff to, to let you know what you have to eat. That's why I ask is like being 280, being an edge rusher. I mean, that just seems like NFL prototype body, right? I mean, that that's what you're looking for in a creative player. And he's going to be good. And he's a junior. Now, maybe he leaves after next year. He's got 13, 14 sacks or whatever he leaves after next year. But I do think it's smart that not only are they getting star players, I mean, uh, Scorton was one of the top 10 transfer available players in the country, according to 24-7, but he's got two years. Um, and so I, I think that's a big part of it too. My first pick will also be on the edge. I'm going to go with Cassius Howell. Um, he, he, Rockhurst, native, originally from Kansas City, Missouri. Um, the same position, 6'4", 235 pounds uh, on, on the edge from Bowling Green. It will be a step up, right? I mean, going from... Going from Bowling Green, going from the MAC um, to to uh, the SEC is going to be a large step up. But he doesn't need to be the guy. He needs to be one of the guys. Uh, anytime you can add more edge rushers, that's important. Edron Cooper led the team last year in sacks. He wasn't a defensive lineman. Shamar Stewart uh, is the the leading sack returner, the leading sack getter on the defensive line, and he had six. And so you're going to need more of that, right? You're going to need more edge presence. Uh, I think it was really important. Uh, for Elko and that group to come in and get a couple edge rushers. I think they hit that one out of the park uh, with Scorton and with Hal. Uh, who is your second pick? All right. So uh, one of the areas or really the area defensively that AM struggled the most was at the corner position. Uh, and AM has picked up a few corners, but one of the guys that I'm really excited about, even though he's making the jump up from FCS to FBS is Donovan Saunders out of uh, Cal Poly. Mm -hmm. He's a guy that when I look at the tape and, and, and everything that he did at, at uh, Cal Poly, like just jumped out immediately as, as a no brainer. Uh, and, and they kind of, it's reflected in his rating as a transfer where he improved from high school to uh, the transfer portal as a, as a product. Uh, he's a guy that I just think, really makes a difference immediately. He also fits the mold of what Elko likes in corners, which is kind of like a bigger, rangier corner. Uh, he likes those guys that are a little bit taller, 6'3", 6'2". And I think Donovan Saunders is a guy that's going to be a plug-and-play. Like I think he's going to make an immediate impact for A&M in the secondary, especially at the corner position, which is an area of massive need for the Aggies. So it's not just the talent 
Uh, but the hole that he's filling that makes me take him with the, my second pick here in this transfer portal draft. We are on the same wavelengths uh, as normal. My second pick is also a cornerback, Will Lee the third uh, from Kansas State. Uh, just a baller. Uh, I, I watch a lot of Big 12 football. It's kind of the conference I grew up watching. I, I, I enjoy that style of football. Uh, Will Lee was awesome. Another really tall corner. He's 6'3", uh, could probably play nickel, maybe could play safety if you really wanted to. Uh, but with those long arms, he, he's really physical at the line of scrimmage. He's a good jam player. He gets guys uh, off their lines really well. The Big 12 passes the ball a lot, so he's played against a lot of really good receivers, played against Xavier Worthy, played against A.D. Mitchell, held his own against those guys at Texas, uh, the Oklahoma receivers he shut down. And so uh, I think with the two, with Saunders that you mentioned and Will Lee, those could be your two starting cornerbacks on day one and week one next year against Notre Dame. Uh, when you can bring in guys at those kind of positions. Because I look at this stuff like the NFL draft, right? And where, where does the NFL draft guys at? They draft them at left tackle, quarterback, wide receiver, corner, and edge rusher. Well, that's where Mike Elko is starting to put together a lot of these transfer portal guys. They're edge rushers, they're cornerbacks. That's where AM need to get better at. Uh, they land two guys at edge that we've already talked about, two guys at corner that we're now talking about. We may mention another one by the end of this draft. And so uh, I think that's a good sign for the Aggies, anybody who watched AM play last year knows that they have to get better in coverage. Hell, anybody that watched the Texas Bowl knows that they have to get better in coverage. Uh, both of those guys are going to do that. Uh, who is your third pick? Yeah, so I'm going to stick with the secondary uh, for this third pick, but I'm not going to go corner again. I'm actually going to a safety position with Marcus Ratcliffe. Uh, you're losing a lot of veteran leadership in Damani Richardson, and you kind of wonder who is going to step up in the back end. Obviously, Bryce Anderson, super talented player, uh, but I still see him as more of a nickel, uh, especially in Elko system where you want to kind of have that guy that's that can fit in the run when he needs to and, and is also good in coverage. Ratcliffe is a guy that I think uh, played really well at a San Diego State with a defense that was a pretty solid defense, right? And I think it kind of fits the same identity of of what Elko will want to do at AM with his defense. So this is, again, part of a fit, part of uh, the prospect in, as a whole. Uh, but I like Marcus Ratcliffe out of San Diego State. I just think that, again, you're trying to address your coverage issues from last year. Uh, obviously, safety was a little bit better off the corner, but you still need to get a little bit better, especially with Jordan Gilbert leaving. Uh, so Marcus Ratcliffe coming in is, is another big pick, and, and that's who I'm taking my third. My third pick, we're going to the offensive side of the ball, Cyrus Allen, the wide receiver out of Law Tech, uber productive. And I've heard so many coaches say, you recruit for upside, you portal for production. And that all the guys we've talked about so far are college producers. They're not betting on talent, betting on the come. Like you have tape. You can go to PFF and look at the grades and look at the film. And so I'm going with Cyrus Allen, wide receiver, six foot, not a big guy, can play in the slot, can play a little bit outside. Uh, probably more of a slot dude. Uh, but when you're losing a Nia Smith, when you're losing a Nevin Stewart, you need guys to come in and catch the football. You need as many talented wide receivers as you can. This is a dude who's done it. He's played major competition on the non-conference schedule at Law Tech. He's dominated Conference USA. Uh, first team all-conference for, for PFF, so graded out really well. Law Tech wasn't very good, so he doesn't get a lot of the coaches and media type rewards but he grades out really well. He catches everything that comes to him. He's a good route runner. I think he's going to be a good 
reliable safety blanket, like one of those guys that you can build instant chemistry between him and Wegman. Uh, I think Cyrus Allen was a really solid, good, sneaky pickup for Texas A&M at the wide receiver position. Yeah, and so I'm going to go ahead and stick with offense for my uh, my fourth pick here. Uh, one of the bigger losses I felt, especially for productivity, because I think he was a big part of the offense last year, was Jake Johnson. Uh, so going again to Purdue and getting tight end Garrett Miller, I think is a uh, a big get for A and M. This is another guy that's coming back to Texas. A lot of experience. Uh, he's been around for a while. He was in the 2019 class, so it, you know it's it's nice to have that kind of veteran leadership. Obviously, like you hope to get Donovan Green healthy. Uh, but I feel like at the tight end position, uh, Garrett Miller was a big pickup. I think he'll pair well with Donovan Green in the same way that you know we kind of hope to see those two tight end sets with Jake Johnson and, and Donovan Green last year. I think Garrett Miller will slide into that Jake, Jake Johnson role pretty well uh, and arguably maybe better as a blocker uh, right now. Uh, but we'll see how that shakes out. But I, I love this pickup for AM and uh, at the tight end position. I'm going to I'm going to break what I just said earlier about, you know, you kind of need you're, you're not going for upside. You're going for production on my fourth pick. I'm going with Scooby Williams, linebacker out of Florida. Obviously, Edgerian Cooper is gone. Torian York is going to be kind of the main leader at linebacker, maybe the captain of the whole defense. He played uh, so well as a true freshman, uh, but he's going to need somebody around him. He's going to need some athleticism around him. You're going to have to to replace that speed, uh, replace that upside. You know, Scooby Williams didn't play a ton at Florida, right? He wasn't like an every down starter, um, but a really good football player that's played in the SEC, that's practiced against SEC players. That was a high four star. I think he was a top 50 uh, national player coming out. An edge rusher as a prospect can get off the edge, can be that dude like a Cooper who can replace some of those sacks from the linebacker position if you start uh, blitzing and stuff. Just, just extremely athletic. Uh, trying to 6'2", 230 pounds right now listed uh, out, of, out of Birmingham, Alabama. So I think he's a, a really good, fun player uh, that could play his best football at A&M if they figure out kind of how to unlock that potential. Yeah, that's uh, he's definitely a guy that I had on my list kind of kind of watching. But uh, for my final pick, I'm going to go with Dorian Hinton. Uh, the offensive lineman out of Florida Atlantic. Uh, we talked about areas of need for AM, and I think offensive line is kind of up there with corner where it was a clear weakness of the team last year. Uh, at the very least, you need to bring in some outside blood just to kind of get that competition going. Uh, but I do think Hinton is a guy that can contribute right away. Uh, you know, we'll see where AM ends up putting him. Uh, I, I, Layden Robinson leaving for the draft is probably the best offensive lineman for AM uh in 2023 uh you know that position i think is going to be one that's kind of for grabs we'll see what happens with uh the center position and, and bryce foster if he can stay healthy uh left guard with with naboo and dewberry uh but i feel like that right guard position is kind of one that's up for grabs and i think dorian hinton's a guy that can slot right in uh at that spot or if they decide to move him out the tackle maybe that's an option as well but uh that's my fifth pick at an area that needed improvement in 2024. That was going to be mine as well. So I'll stay on the defensive side of the ball at linebacker and go Alex Howard, a linebacker from Youngstown State. We just talked about Scooby Williams and his upside and his ability to play in the SEC. Well, Howard hasn't played that kind of major football, but he's played a lot of snaps, 
He's a very productive player. I'm going to take a, a, a big step up here, but I think he's athletic enough to handle it, and he doesn't have to play every single down for AM. Like they're putting together a, a roster there at the second level where you don't need to come in and all of a sudden be an all conference player. I think if he's given some time to adjust to the speed of the game and the physicality of the SEC, he's going to be really good. Kind of a, one of those players that maybe won't get a lot of pub. And you turn around in October, November, and has become a really important cog to not only the defense but the special teams and just the culture uh, behind the scenes. Anytime I get, I, I you know, anytime you get some dudes from Youngstown State, you're going to get tougher, right? Like that, <laughs> that is one of those just like perennial, like tough, hard ass uh, college football programs. You get a linebacker from there, I'm sold. Yeah, it's a Missouri Valley Football Conference. Uh, it's, they generally produce the uh, the best teams in uh, FCS football as they did this year with South Dakota State winning the national championship. And Alex Howard is obviously very talented. He's also a big guy, right? Like he's another 6'2", 230. So he's not a small uh, linebacker by any means. And I, I agree with your assessment. I think he's going to come in right away. Uh, but yeah, that was a pretty good draft. Do we want to go to six or are we just... Yeah, uh, go six. Let's just say we can, keep, we can keep doing this thing. We can keep doing it then. Uh, so I'm going to go back to uh, the defensive side of the ball. And, you know, you talk about Youngstown State being like a, a program that that generally produces tough guys. Uh, another one of those is Wisconsin. And A&M picks up a defensive lineman in Rodas Johnson that I think is is going to be uh, productive on the interior of the defensive line. You know, I, I don't see him sticking on the edge. I think he'll be more of like a three-technique type guy. Uh, but anytime you can get a defensive lineman out of Wisconsin – uh, I think it's I think it's a good thing, uh, especially you know like you know he's going to come out and and, and be a, a a tough guy and he's got a lot of experience as well, right? He's another guy that that's been in that program for a while, uh, was in the 2019 class. So uh, that's that's what I'm taking with my my sixth pick here again. Wisconsin defensive lineman. It's like there's certain places that produce certain positions. Trench players in Wisconsin, they kind of go hand in hand. Yeah, you you know he's faced some offensive lines that are that are pretty good. He knows what physicality is. He's played against major programs. That's why my sixth pick is going to be D, D. Ricky Wright. Uh, you know, a safety from Vanderbilt. Uh, again, I don't know if he comes in as an instant starter, um, but as we know in modern football, you're playing twenty guys, twenty five guys on defense every single every single time. He can come in. He can add depth. He can compete for the opposite safety opposite safety spot. Um, so, and he's, you know, played SEC football, been in that ringer, understands that smart kid. Obviously you go to Vanderbilt, you understand how to get the academics. Um, so I think he would be my, my sixth person. Jaden Hill's another one, the cornerback from Florida for the same reasons, right? Like played SEC football. Maybe he comes to A&M and they start unlocking that potential that made him an SEC draft or SEC recruit. Yeah, no doubt. And, uh, I guess I'll go back to the offensive side of the ball and talk on, uh, about, uh, Jabray Barber. Uh, the receiver from Troy, uh, not quite as productive as, as uh, Cyrus Allen, but he's another guy that's going to be super productive, uh, was a big part of the offense at Troy. Uh, and that's another kind of like blue collar program that, that, again, fits with the identity of what I think Mike Elko is trying to do at a and uh, You know, he's going to come in and work from the start. Not, another guy with a lot of experience, uh, an older guy. And I, I, I don't think I can touch enough about how even if the Sun Belt isn't the SEC, uh, competing for conference titles is a good thing to have in your program. And and yeah. Troy has a culture of competing for those Sunbelt titles consistently. And I think Jabray Barber is going to bring that over to A&M at the wide receiver position. 
I know this is a question that requires more variables, so you can't answer it completely, but would you rather have kind of that high upside prospect from a, a Florida, an Alabama, Ohio State that maybe didn't work out for whatever reason, the position group is too crowded or his position coach left or the scheme changed, or do you want somebody from the portal that you've seen catch 60 passes or make 80 tackles or get 10 sacks, even if it is at the MAC or Conference USA level? Yeah, I mean, it's tough because there's always that instinct of a coach to say, if I can get him to do one or two things a little bit right. different, I can fix him. Uh, <laughs> the 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 motto of toxic relationships, right? Right. right. Uh, the Al Davis. But I mean, I think you want to ideally you want to have a balance of guaranteed production, uh, and I guess nothing's guaranteed. But if you're playing Division One FBS football and and you're successful. Uh, generally you can translate that. Like if you're putting up numbers like like Cyrus Allen has or like Jabray Barber has or uh, like a Cassius Howell has to go to the defensive side of the ball, uh, I don't think it matters to me that much that you're playing in the MAC or the Sun Belt or the Conference USA. Uh, like those are still Division One full scholarship athletes that you're playing against. Uh, and there's only so many of those guys. And, you know, it's arguably more exclusive now with all the transfer portal stuff, right? Yeah. Like, less guys are, are coming out of high school and getting recruited uh, to the Power 5 programs, uh, so you're going to have more talent That's a great uh, point. At, the, at the Group of 5 programs. So with that in mind, I, I think uh, I would lean more towards the production side, but I would try to get a balance of both potential and production. Yeah, I'm with you there. And all you got to do is watch an NFL game when they're introducing where they went to college and you hear some college and you're like, what the hell? Like, how, did, how did you get, <laughs> how'd you come from there? Right. And so the transfer portal allows these guys a, a little bit bigger of a stage um, to go, you know, get some NFL tape against those big teams and eliminate some of those questions of, yeah, he's really good, but he's doing it at La Tech. Yeah, he's really good, but he's doing it at Buffalo. You come and do it at Texas A&M. Now you're a multimillionaire. Yeah, and I mean, you look at AM last year and arguably the most productive guy out of the transfer portal in the back half of the season is Jaday Walker, who who yeah. transferred in from a Division II school. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, like you look at production, I mean, there's going to be some measurables that you take a peek at as well. Uh, but it's hard, to, it's hard to turn down that production. And, you know, uh, I think that's why I lean more towards that direction than the potential. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. And I think it's a great point of the there's less guys getting recruited out of high school to each of these schools. So by, by you have to slip through the cracks on occasion. Right. Uh, and then you add that 2020 year where everybody wasn't really getting to go do on field uh, scouting and, and maybe some of those late bloomers uh, kind of went unnoticed. Uh, all of a sudden there, there are some real football players at the levels that maybe we don't spend as much time looking at it and talking about at, at, as maybe we should. Um, all right, let's move into uh, saying, unless you got anything else on the transfer portal, let's move into uh, second down uh, and talk about the staff um, over the Christmas break. I can't even remember the last time we had a show. It's like right around Christmas, <laughs> right? Right before Christmas. Yeah, I think right before Christmas. Um, before I went to New Orleans and picked up this death uh, that I'm carrying around and coughing out of my body right now. Um, Let's look at the staff. So it, it's pretty much done. I think all of the 10 on-field positions are, are locked up as a strength and conditioning and general manager. Head coach, obviously, Mike Elko. Uh, offensive coordinator, quarterback coach, Colin Klein. Running back coach, Trooper Taylor. Wide receiver, Hallman Wiggins. Offensive line, Adam Cushing. 
Then we move to the defensive side of the ball. Defensive coordinator and linebacker is Jay Bateman. Defensive line, Tony Gerard, uh, Eddie. Uh, defensive line, Sean Spencer. Defensive back, Wesley McGriff. Defensive back, Ishmael Aristide. Strengthening or special teams, Patrick Doherty. Uh, strength and conditioning, Tommy Moffitt. And then general manager, Derek Miller. What? I guess let's start with the whole general manager position. I know we talked a little bit about this, um, but that's one that I think catches some guys off guard now because it's not stereotypically a college job, right? You don't think general manager in college. Can you explain a little bit what a general manager does and why that's so important to, to a college team these days? Yeah, I think uh, the reason for the general manager position is that like you have to recruit and roster manage at a level uh, that hasn't been true in the past, Yeah, both with recruiting in the portal, uh, with recruiting high school, and then also with re-recruiting your current players. This roster management is so difficult, and, and you, you really have to have that type of general manager on staff to try to keep everything. Because you, ha- you have your coaches game planning. Yes, they're going to recruit, but there's, there's just certain things that like you need to have one overarching uh opinion of a guy that has kind of a bird's eye view on all of it uh to keep everything kind of sane and on vision and uh that's what you've seen like i think pretty much every college football program now has a general manager uh for that roster management aspect yeah i kind of look at like a colander you know, you, you throw the noodles in there and it kind of gets rid of all the all the stuff that you don't need. Right. And then you're able to take those noodles to the coach and go, OK, here's here's what we got. Here are the guys that you need to go look to. Uh, it does feel like a way to kind of sift through a lot of that data, especially with the portal. I think that's another important point that you made, though, is also re-recruiting your football team, like having a pulse on what's happening, what this backup linebacker is thinking, who's going to go, who's thinking about staying, who's in good standing. Um, And so, yeah, I think it's one of the more important positions in college football these days is who the general manager is, what they do, and how much autonomy that they have. Not everybody's created equal. I, I know some general managers that are essentially there to just do the bidding of the head coach. And I know some general managers like James Blanchard at Texas Tech who has autonomy to go find guys to recruit. Like he's allowed to give an offer like to a guy if he likes them that that much, right? So it'll be interesting to see where Derek Miller's uh, role lands in that. I'd imagine he's pretty trustworthy because he was at Duke with Elko before. Um, and so they, they know what they want. Uh, but when you can have one of those guys in lockstep, kind of like in the NFL, when the, when the head coach and the general manager and lockstep, things go really well. Uh, you start to see it go wrong and wanky uh, when maybe they're not on um, the same page. And so that's, that's an important one as well. And I know from talking to other football players that the strength and conditioning coach is the guy you spend the most time with and can be one of the more important uh, pieces of that football program. What are your thoughts on uh, Tommy Moffitt, who have... Who, Obviously, is well known for his time at LSU over like, I don't know, he's there for a million years or something like that. He's, yeah. made, of, he's made of gumbo. He was at LSU from 2000 to, to 2021. Uh, so that that is quite a wealth of experience uh, with both Saban and Miles uh, mm-hmm. and then kept on. And I think that speaks a lot to uh, the amount of respect that uh there is for uh Tommy Moffat and and his uh and his experience and obviously before he was at LSU he also spent some time at Tennessee so a lot of a lot of SEC bonafides there uh 
his only like non-SEC experience is Miami in the '90s, <laughs> which I mean, might as well have been the SEC, yeah. right? I want to uh, interview him so bad. <laughs> I just want to talk to. I was like, none of this can be like. I don't even care if any of it's on record, and I'm not allowed to write about a single word of it. I would love to sit down and just get some of those stories. Oh yeah, I mean there there is a lot to glean from uh, his experience. Uh, I know some people are a little bit reticent just because he has been out of the game for a little bit, but I mean strength and conditioning, I think, is uh, that bar have... still weighs forty five pounds, my yeah. friend. Put yeah. some weight on it and start lifting. And then there are certain things that you you kind of apply and 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 differentiate with with the changing game. Uh, obviously, like. You're not going to have as many, uh, let's say, uh, muscle heads as there were in the 90s and the early 2000s. Now, it's a little bit more functional. Uh, but for me, like, as long as he was at LSU, it feels like he was a guy that could evolve with the times, right? Because if if you're there for 21 years and, and you're constantly producing pretty darn good athletes, uh, I feel like you can make the adjustments to the time. So I, I think having him at AM is a, is a big benefit. Uh, and I also think that like you look at it and, and just the wealth of experience, right? Like he's been around the best of the best. And uh, I don't think you can discount that. So I, I look at getting Moffat and, and pulling him in at, at, at A&M as a uh, big win. We've talked about the coordinators a little bit on, on our previous show, but just now that we've had some time to really settle in and think about it, what are your overall thoughts on Colin Klein uh, being the OC and what this offense is going to look like in 2024? Yeah, I'm very excited to see what Colin Klein does. Uh, you know, again, I, I've touched on it and, and, you know, I worry about some of the QB run games, but the more I sit and think on it, uh, the more I think that, you know, Colin's going to adapt to whatever his personnel is. Uh, maybe he's able to stretch the ball and, and, and throw the ball a little bit more with a guy like Wegman in. Uh, and, and there's a lot of other talent in the quarterback room. I mean, uh, we'll get into it with the bowl game, but even a guy like Marcel Reed, who was the four-string quarterback, I saw a lot that I loved uh, in, the, in the late stages of the Texas Bowl uh, from, from a freshman. So there's definitely a lot of talent to work with. We'll see... Uh, what Conkline does, and and there's some creative things that he does in the run game too, uh, which I think will be a benefit for AM because you're gonna have to get creative at times. Uh, you know, defenses are reactive, but they're so good, uh, in this modern day and age at uh, adjusting to whatever you do, so you have to constantly readjust in game. And, and it feels like Conkline is a guy who is going to be able to do that. Uh, and obviously, uh, he's had success with offenses at Kansas State. Uh, I think he fit what AM wanted to do, which was go get a younger offensive coordinator and uh, somebody somebody that's a little more uh, maybe a little more creative and and plug him in. And I think uh, Klein fits that profile to a T. You uh, you know football better than I do. You, you watch the scheme and stuff more than I do. But it does seem like college football is reverting back towards physical, like twelve personnel, twenty two personnel kind of slam you in the face because the defense has got smaller. Johnny Manziel goes to the SEC. Nick Saban watches him run around with a chicken with his head cut off and he goes, hey, we got to get faster. Our 260-pound linebackers can't can't keep up with this kind of stuff. Defense gets smaller. 10, 15 years goes on. The veer and shoot dominates. The air raid dominates. 
And now offensive coaches, even the air raid ones, are starting to use tight ends more and starting to get bigger and starting to mash people. We saw Michigan just win a national championship by essentially doing the Marshawn Lynch, just keep running it into their face. Uh, I love that Mike Elko, a defensive-minded coach, at a place that loves the blue-collar, smashy-in-the-nose type football, hired a coordinator that's not all glitz and glamour, that's not going to spread you out and be pretty all the time, that's main focus is we're going to bust you in the mouth. And I think that is a good thing for the SEC and for AM and the way that you can go about recruiting. It's not going to be exactly what Colin Klein wants it to be in year one because you got to do what your personnel is best at. But if Texas AM is growing towards becoming the physical beast of the SEC or one of the physical beasts of the SEC, I think it's really smart. And you're not doing the exact same thing as Texas and Oklahoma and LSU. So you should be able to recruit your guys a little bit more than maybe those are. Are I really like the hire. The more I think about it, uh, the more I really like that hire. What are your thoughts on the defensive side of the ball with Jay Bateman uh, being the defensive coordinator? This is an impossible question, I know, but we're a podcast in January, so we're just going to start talking about some stuff. How much do you think this is Mike Elko's offense? How much do you think it's Bateman's offense? Is it a collaboration is it just I, I don't know how, how do those kind of things work i'd imagine if you're major bones as a defensive coordinator you're going to be in those meetings a, a few of the times it, it leads me to believe that it's going to be kind of a 50 50 ordeal i think it'll be elko's defense uh with bateman calling plays essentially yeah. okay uh and and elko is going to be very involved in the game planning on the defensive side of the ball and in, in my mind uh and, and i don't want to like discount Bateman's experience either because he was a very good defense coordinator at Army. Mm-hmm. Uh but it, it's Elko made his bones as a defensive coordinator. Uh the model has proven to be successful uh wherever he's been, whether that's Wake Forest or Notre Dame or Texas AM or Duke. He's been successful everywhere with the defense that he has played. Uh so in my mind, like it's it's gonna be a Mike Elko defense uh, and and that's not to say that you know Bateman or or any of the other guys might not be able to add in some things, uh, some wrinkles that maybe Elko hadn't had in the past. Uh, but I, I just feel like it's going to be an Elko defense with with Bateman calling the plays. And that's why you hire the guy, right? I mean, you hire Steve Sarkeesian because he's good at offense. You know, you hire Mike Elko because he's good at defense, and you hope that they become program builders and become really good head coaches and all that kind of stuff. But you can't abandon the thing that got you to the dance, right? And so. Uh, kind of like what Baylor did with Dave Aranda, you know, like it, the defense didn't go as well. And now all of a sudden Dave Aranda is like the defensive coordinator of Baylor again. Uh, I think when you're you, on your side of the ball, it has to be good. Right. And so I'd imagine Elko, at least in that first year, has his fingerprints all over it with the idea of maybe I get to back off of this as I lay the groundwork and Bateman gets more comfortable with what I like to do. Uh, anybody else on that list kind of jump out as like, hey, that was a hell of a hire. Or, hey, I really like. Uh, what that person's going to bring to the staff. Yeah, I mean, so a guy uh, that has a ton of SEC experience in Wes McGriff uh, as a pass game coordinator, defensive backs, also a great recruiter. Uh, he's been around the SEC for forever uh, coaching. Uh, I think that was a fantastic hire. I love the decision to keep uh, Tony Trotetti on staff uh, and pair him with Sean Spencer, where it's a younger, less experienced coach paired with somebody who's been around the game for a long time. And Sean Spencer's another guy that great recruiter, uh, developed a lot of great players at Penn State. Uh, maybe had a little bit less success at Florida, but I'm, I'm not super worried about that. I think 
it's more of a product of Florida being dysfunctional than anything. I agree. <laughs> I agree there. Uh, uh, and then I like that there's actually a special teams coordinator and and uh, Patrick Doherty. Like I think that's one of the biggest issues that AM had in the Jimbo Fisher era was struggles on special teams. Obviously, you had playmakers like Anai Smith and uh, Devon A. Chain that were taking kicks back all the time, but. I felt like that was more the individual than the scheme, right? Uh, and and I'm biased here because I think he's a very good special teams coach. But you look back to like when uh, Banks, Jeff Banks was at AM, I felt like we always had very, very good special teams. Uh, and again, I, I have a little bit of bias there, but I, I feel like you're still getting very good special teams at Texas. Uh, so I think having a dedicated special teams coordinator uh, makes a big difference. And I liked that AM went out and, and got one. Yeah, I agree there. Uh, this is a uh, non-Jeff Jeff Banks. Uh, you will get no bad words about Jeff Banks here on the Aggie War Pod. I, <laughs> I am, I am also a big uh, Jeff Banks guy. Uh, so yeah, I, I think you know overall the staff may have not had like the big flashy like oh man that, but I, I think it's just a bunch of football loving dudes man and that, that's kind of what a&m needed to get back to it's not all about same on the recruiting trail right like it's not not all flash and just five star glitz and glamour like just get some football coaching guys in there and get some football playing dudes in there and just go smash somebody in the face and win some football games like it doesn't have to be uh, all that sexy all all of the all of the time i think the guy who will have the biggest microscope on him is going to be adam cushing uh, on the offensive line, like until AM fixes that unit, until that unit becomes an advantage and not a disadvantage, we're going to be talking about frustrating Aggie results. And so to me, with the talent that he's inheriting, figuring out what the hell happened with Bryce Foster, what the hell happened with Ruben Fathery, like why aren't those guys much better than they should be? Like, you know, they, they feel like they're the same as they were when they arrived on campus, right? Getting those getting those type of guys to take that next step can really, really unlock a Connor Wegman and this wide receiver unit and that running back stable. So to me, Adam Cushing and the job he does may be the most important one of the, of this coaching staff in year one. Yeah, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And and it'll be interesting, especially because like I, I think one of the things I touched on is maybe like AM looked a little bit slow on the offensive line at time. Maybe they would have been better off just, you know, getting more gap scheme. And I feel like with the offense that Colin Klein brings, and, and you're gonna have more power and and trap and 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 counter. Duo. Yeah, exactly. And so having that and then letting your big guys use their bodies. Uh, whereas maybe they struggle a little bit with the slants and the, and the quickness. Uh, I feel like that'll be more of a benefit. So we'll see. We'll see. I mean, that that's just a theory that I've cooked up. But uh, I, I do think that Adam Cushing is is a guy that's going to be looked at very closely uh, by A&M fans going into this next season. Matt Maddox at, at UTSA is not there anymore, but he was he's kind of an offensive line coach that, that taught me a lot about offensive line play. And he used to always say, big guy, go be big. Right. Like we recruited you because you're a bad MFR. Right. Go be a bad MFR. Like, I'm, you know, you're trying to eliminate some of the thought there. Uh, and I imagine it's the same for defensive line, too. Like, it's like go hunt, you know. And so yeah. uh, if they can unlock some of those offensive linemen with uber potential, I mean, we're talking about guys who we all thought had NFL potential when they got to College Station. Well, they're still those guys. You just got to figure out how to get confidence back into them and get them a scheme that suits their uh, suits their skills 
you know, that could be the thing that really, we look back on this next season and it goes really, really well. I think it's because they figured out how to get that offensive line turned around. Like, I, I think it's just, it, it is that important. Yeah. Uh, moving on from the coaching staff. So we talked about the transfer portal, talked about the coaching staff. Let's talk a little bit about bowl season. I know this may feel like this happened uh, last year because it did. It did happen <laughs> a, a year ago at this moment. Uh, but Oklahoma State knocked off Texas A&M 31-23 in the Texas Bowl. The Aggies had 50 scholarship players uh, and were on their fourth string quarterback uh, for most of that football game, as Jay alluded to earlier. Just your overall thoughts on the game. We're not going to go break it down. It's a bowl game. We get we get that it, it's not as important and not something that's as forward-thinking as as maybe it used to be. But what were your just kind of overall thoughts from the effort and just what you saw um, in the Texas Bowl? A lot of fight from the guys uh, yeah. was, was my biggest takeaway because that game looked like it was going to get very ugly in the first half. Uh, and AM kind of fights back and at least makes Oklahoma State sweat a little bit. And I think AM was playing at a disadvantage. Obviously, you mentioned the scholarship players. Uh, you're starting walk ons at, at some of the secondary positions, which uh, Oklahoma State was able to exploit. But those guys fought the whole game. Uh, Marcel Reed coming in as a, as a freshman. I mean, we already touched on it. He fought the whole game. Uh, so, I mean, obviously, it's a disappointing result and there's no moral victories. But uh, if I take one thing away, it's just that the guys didn't really lay down out there. Yep. And that's what you want. You know, when you're, when you're going in, you know, that shorthanded, um, just show up and play and then keep playing and keep playing. I think that's a good sign. And I'd imagine if you're Elko for you, you're not really looking to see who like tackles the best or who understands their assignment. Or if this guy dropped a ball, you're just trying to look to see who cares. Like yeah. the care factor, uh, needs to be risen in that locker room moving forward. And I, I think that was a good good start to kind of build the foundation of this is how hard we play. Now we can go figure out how to play and what to play and who to play, but this is how hard we play. Uh, I think the second half was, was a good indication that there are still a lot of the guys, a lot of guys in that locker room who care about A&M football, who have self pride, who want to go play some football and knew that they were auditioning in a way, right. Uh, to that new coaching staff, um, because it kind of starts there. Um, College football playoff wrapped up on Monday on January 8th with Michigan uh, thumping Washington in a game that didn't feel as close as it was, right? Like it's easy to forget that that thing was 20 to 13. Washington had the ball coming out of halftime or in a lot large parts of the th third quarter and just couldn't figure out. I Maybe I'm too close to the weeds here. I think of everything in a Texas-centric box, not the University of Texas, but the state of Texas-centric box. So when I was watching that game on uh, Codeine Cough Syrup, which I recommend, by the way. I don't recommend the flu, but I do rep recommend really awesome prescription cough syrup. Um, shout out to Little Flip. I watched that and thought, that's exactly what Texas A&M needs to start working towards. Right. Like that kind of blueprint that Michigan just won a national championship to can still win national championship games. And you don't have to go undefeated anymore. We'll talk about yeah. that in fourth down. You don't have to be 12 and 0 anymore. You can go, you can go 10 and 2 and get into that dance and then let your offensive line, defensive line go be great. Play really good defense, run the football, don't turn the ball over. Those all seem to be things that are universal in football. Michigan goes and wins the championship. What were your kind of thoughts? Uh, on that game. I know Longhorn fans were disappointed that Michael Penix turned into a normal human at some point between the Sugar Bowl <laughs> and the national championship game. But what are your just kind of overall thoughts on on Harbaugh getting one before he likely rides off into the sunset? 
Yeah, I mean, it, it felt like Michigan has kind of been building towards this for the past few seasons, and uh, they finally have all the pieces in place, and then they took advantage of it and and accomplished the goal. Uh, it's the first time we've seen like really a power team uh, that that relies on their defense a lot win a national championship. I felt like since uh, since Alabama in twenty twelve, right? Where it's yeah, more since of, like, Nick Saban decided, yeah, since Nick Saban decided, you know what would make this easier. Uh, a quarterback who's really, really good. Um, since yeah. then, it does feel like this was the first like blood you in the mouth national champion. And uh, I, I think you know it goes back to what you talked about earlier with power football and, and the cycles of, of football with uh, adjusting personnel and, and time being a flat circle. Uh, but I mean, it, obviously, Washington had some chances in that game. Uh, like you touched on, it was close until it wasn't. Mm. Uh, but it looked like Michigan was going to run away with it. I think, uh, you know, one thing that I noticed is Washington inexplicably lined up with two, three techniques, giving so much space uh, for Michigan on the interior and, and allowing the the offensive line to work to the second level. Uh, I don't know what they saw in game plan film that led to that decision. Uh, you know, me personally, I, I, I could see like lining up uh, and maybe like a like a four eye or like you know something where you're limiting the space a little bit more and, and maybe slanting off of it because you're not going to be overpowering the Michigan offensive line and I get that you kind of have to get a little bit creative, uh, but Michigan was just able to just pound the rock early on. Uh, Washington adjusts to it. Uh, they start really loading up the box, uh, and and Michigan wasn't having success running for basically the end of the second quarter through the third quarter. Uh, and then, you know, as tends to happen, it's like kind of watching Habib Nurmagomedov fight where, like, you're landing these body shots, you're taking them down, you're just kind of ground and pounding. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, if if you're not able to land your shots on the feet because you're thinking about uh, the pressure and, and the gas tank and all that, Michigan lands the home run blows and they get yeah. the turnovers and then they just put the game away. Uh, it was a fantastic matchup for me stylistically. Like that was what I was excited about because you had a very vertical uh, Washington attack against a very uh, powerful Michigan rushing attack. And and it's fun to see those types of stylistic matchups. Uh, again, there were times where, Penix misses some open guys or there were drops uh, that could have very easily turned the fortunes of that game, but could have, would have, should have means nothing. Michigan capitalized, stepped up when they needed to, and then won a uh, national championship for the first time in a long time. Michigan has the incredible ability to make every team play their style of game. Like Washington's vertical passing game became null and void. Uh, they sped them up so much that even when it was open down the field, it was like, oh, shit, that's open. And, throw the, and then it wasn't, wasn't on target, right? Like they just did so, they did so, such a good job of confusing Penix and that wide receivers a little bit. They got pressure, but they just muddy it up. They just muddy everything up. And all of a sudden you're in a, a dogfight in a phone booth and they're going to win every single one of those. Like that's just that's what they do. And uh, the ability to do that is a skill to drag another team into your style of football. Every single time is a skill. Um, 
it's not always about the other team not doing something. It's about Michigan making them look like they don't know how to get to what they want to do. Um, they did excellent at that. One more before I move on. Is that the last time we see an undefeated national champion in a long time? I I think so, just with the way the game's going to change and how the playoffs going to dictate things. But you never know. I mean, all it takes is one team just being absolutely fantastic. You could look at like an LSU in 2019 where they just had those dudes. Yeah. They just had those guys. And Michigan with what they did. I mean, they executed every time out. That's another feature of it where maybe you don't have the guys that you look at and you say, because like when I look at Michigan's roster, obviously they're going to have a lot of NFL guys, but there's nobody that's like that standout, just like all-star uh you know he's going to be just a game changer at the next level. Uh, like Coram's going to be a dude that gets drafted and, and does well in the NFL, in my opinion. But like, you don't have like a to take it back to another Michigan defensive. Ball, you don't have like a Winovich there, right? Yes. Like the guy that you know jumps off on film right away. Uh, but you look at their see. I don't think Michigan was behind at halftime in any of their games this year. And and that speaks to yeah. uh, the level of of their game plan and, and what they're able to do. So that's uh, something I look at. And you know, if somebody can replicate that, then maybe we see an undefeated team. But I just think there's too many variables now. Yeah, Alabama is the only time they trailed in the second half, um, and I, I believe they were tied or up seventeen thirteen or something like that at halftime in that game. So you know, they just. They just kind of suffocate you, and all of a sudden you're doing, you're in the Khabib fight, and you're like, how the hell did I get into this thing? This isn't what I wanted to do, you know? I I always get the image of, uh, he was fighting Michael Johnson, and he has the, what they call the Dagestani handcuff, where he's kind of like wrapped around his back, grabs his wrist, and like is just punching him in the face. The whole time, Habib's talking to him, going, let me win this, brother. You know I deserve this title shot. You know I deserve this title. And he's punching him in the face. And that's what I picture Michigan football as this year. For anybody listening, if you're ever in the position to punch me in the face, please don't call me brother as you're doing it. Like it just feels like a different level. I know he's not trying to be like disrespectful, but it almost feels I'd rather you call me like a motherfucker or something. You know what I mean? Like, don't call me like, Hey brother, you know, like don't just kick my ass, you know? Uh, <laughs> so anyway, um, and then lastly, before we move into fourth down, maybe this can be the start of fourth down. Let's move into fourth down into Ask Jay segment because this is more of an Ask Jay question. I always hear the phrase or the question, how do we fix bowl season? And I want to turn that on its head and ask you this question. Is it even broken? So I can get into this huge diatribe about Let's bowl do it. season. That's and why, why we're here. Okay, we'll, we'll do it then. Uh, so first of all, I'm 100% biased. I got my first ever start in a bowl game in bowl season. Uh, and I have had incredible experiences in bowl games, uh, even when I'm not playing a la the, the Duke's Mayo bowl. Uh, so I love bowl season. I don't think it's necessarily broken. Uh, I'm not going to say it's not flawed, but I don't think it's broken. Uh, here, here's my point with this college football fans. The average fan has long said that money is ruining the game. Right. Like it's the players uh, care too much about money or, or going to the next level now. And, and that's what's ruining the game. Guess what? When those players sit out of bowl games, you're getting the guys that you want that aren't playing for money. So that's one way of looking at it. Second of all, I mean, like for the average athlete, like you want to win no matter what, like you're going out there to compete uh, and, and having that chance to finally go out there and show 
your your ability because guys have left. I mean, that's a huge opportunity for you if you're an athlete. So looking at it from the athlete perspective. Uh, and then finally, like, let's be honest here. Any football is good football. Right. Uh, so <laughs> I want to watch football. I, I don't understand why people can't just enjoy it. And we had fun games, right? Uh, you had... Craig Bowl riding off into the sunset with a game-winning field goal, Wyoming over Toledo. You had Western Kentucky pulling off an all-time comeback against Old Dominion. You Texas had... State drank SMU out of alcohol. <laughs> and I was like, at that stadium, doing? and it was glorious. Oh, man. <laughs> I would give a lot for Oregon Liberty to be tonight. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, we, I don't. I don't don't watch. First of all, if you don't like it, just don't watch like that. There's 3000 channels on your television. All you got to do is don't watch. But we all watch because the other option is hanging out with our family for the 14th consecutive day during Christmas break. None of us want to do it. We want to be able to bet a parlay and we want to have a game on in the background. You don't have to take notes and like watch the all 22 and like break it down. But it's football and that's better than non football. And it, and it, I, I just, you're not a real fan, right? Like that's, that's where I'm at with it. And this idea, I love, this is my, here's my diatribe. I love when these guys start acting as if we've ruined the old bowl system, as if they really gave a shit about the Sun Bowl in 1993, right? Like they were really watching the Independence Bowl back in 2001 with bated breath because of like how important that game. No, it was always filler. Like it was always just fun. Uh, it's not the end of the, I, I just don't, I just don't get it. Like if your argument is that this, there's too much football and there's too many bowl games, what, like what, that's, what are we doing here? Like the sport is not for you. Go watch the NFL. And, and you brought up another thing, like with the Texas state, uh, drinking SMU out of house and home, uh, what these bowl games mean to fan bases, right? Yeah. Like, I went to UTSA. This bowl season was incredible for me. It's the first time I'd ever seen my team win a bowl game. Exactly. And and that's like taking away that opportunity. Again, the young players that get to play that maybe didn't throughout the season. Uh, so you're kind of getting an idea of what you have next season too. Yeah. That's another piece of this. Yeah. Like it's not like there are uses for these games beyond just it's football and it's entertaining. Uh, and if you're really that bothered by it, then Go look at the chaotic stuff, like sacrificing a mascot to eat live on television. That's fun. Dumping mayonnaise on a winning coach. Uh, like I just, it's the silly chaotic stuff that fits in so well with college football and the identity yeah. of the sport. This that, is a like, stupid sport. I just love it. Embrace yeah. it. This is yeah. dumb. Just there's not even a governing body. You know what I mean? Like this thing is ridiculous. Like what we're doing is ridiculous. Like just enjoy it. Just watch the Pop Tart get massacred. Like I don't yeah. I don't understand. Or don't, you know? But like you don't have to like shit on everybody's fun like while you're doing it. Like, oh, I'm too yeah. good for this. It's like, I don't know. You spend your time on message boards all the time. Like, what do you mean? Like you have plenty of time yeah. to waste. Like you do a lot of dumb stuff. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, you got guys like saying all kinds of wild shit on message boards, talking about is bowl games broken when you're calling high school recruits bears and shit i don't know what right. that is I, I mean it's just like yeah you, you you like really you're gonna you're gonna pick a fight with like actual football played on an actual field right. that's right. that's where you're getting mad i i don't get it yeah you'll have a lot of time to watch netflix like just put on a football game and, yeah. and watch it 
uh, bet on the quarters. You know what I mean? Like you can, you can figure out a way uh, to get invested into these football games. So I think we both agree we're biased here. Like we're not the normal person, uh, but not only does bowl season not need to be fixed, it is not broken. It is fine. Is it perfect? No, but it never was in the first place. So who cares? Next up, uh, next year, we are having a 12-team playoff format. It will no longer be four. Uh, to my chagrin, it will be 12, which is way too many. But I wanted to get your thoughts on the 12-team format. Not because I know you're for it. Like we don't have to hash, we get, don't have to hash into that. But the schedule of the first one has been released. And the first round games are going to be on December 19th, December 20th. Second round games, December 31st, January 1st. Second round games around January 10th. And then the championship game, January 20th or so. That'll be the 19th some year, whatever. Mike, you played college football. So I wanted to ask you, are college teams built to play that many football games? And are we going to get shittier and shittier playoff games? Like the national championship tends to not be any good. And that may be because one team is always better than the second team. But I think some of it is they're not built to play that long, to play that often and to play a week right after a semifinal game. Do you worry that the quality of football is going to dip because you're asking 18 to 21 year old students to play what is equivalent to an NFL regular season? Honestly, like I think depth is part of the equation anyway. So I'm not super worried about it. Like I think your top 12 teams are all going to have for the most part enough depth. Uh, and, and there's going to be some injuries that's going to happen. Uh, like Florida state obviously would not have had Jordan Travis this year. It's already come into like some aspect. Uh, but you're also not going to have as many transfer guys from those, uh, from those teams that make the playoffs. So I think you'll have more guys on the roster, uh, from that standpoint. Uh, I don't love how long the season's going to go. Uh, for the get like it, it's just naturally you're gonna take a beating. Uh, I think honestly it'll just make practices change a little bit. I think you'll get and 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 that's why the NFL teams are able to have a long season is they're not hitting in practice uh, as much. Like there's a different approach that you have to take, and uh, I, I think that you'll see that with these teams. Obviously, you take the you take the thump out of things a little bit uh, later in the season and. It's just going to be more of a scale back. Uh, I, I don't. Think but don't college affect- guys need that? Like pros, in theory, you don't need to tackle as much. You don't need to do as much of that because you're like a professional football player. Doesn't like DJ Hicks need to be thumping and tackling to get like I don't know. I'm I'm just an idiot. But you have but those that are the during, things. I'm you have that about. during two days, and and you'll have it for most of the season. It, it's basically you're just going to have like maybe you shorten it up a little bit. Yeah. And and I guarantee you, like if it becomes an issue where guys are missing tackles constantly because you're not thumping as much, they're going to go back in there and fix it. Like they're, yeah. they're going to make you have like a, tackle unless you're leaking practice. Riley. Well, you know, uh, I, I don't think he actually knows that defense exists half the time. He definitely doesn't know practice. practice. Defensive practice exists. <laughs> I just, I guess I worry that the product is going to get worse because December is the only thing that matters. And now all of a sudden, like that Texas-Alabama game in week two, that's more of a filling out process, right? Like you'd like to win that football game, but it's more about figuring out what you have for later. Much so, I guess it's going to look like NFL football to me um, in terms of like what happens in week four, what happens in week two. I looked it up. 
every Big Ten and SEC team that went 10 and two or better is in the top 12 of the rankings. And so every, like you can lose t- two games and still make it. I'm curious if we get more, not opt-outs, but like let's say the SEC championship game this year was Georgia versus Alabama. Both of those teams are in no matter if they win or they lose. If you're either of those teams, why would you, I guess to get the bye, but like why would you play all of your best players? Why why wouldn't you sit some guys out? Because you're going to play those teams again. You're going to play three or four more games in theory. One thing I'll say is that I think as these uh, super conferences kind of come together, you, you have less margin for error. Right, like you're playing better teams every week in the regular season, and that's what's going to keep those games mattering. Because uh, you, you can't really afford to rest them until you get to the end, uh, and and maybe you do rest them, and I don't think that's the end of the world. Uh, with that being said, though, like I just I can't buy that these rivalry week games aren't going to be just as intense and chaotic as ever right yeah if texas is 12 and 0 a&m's 12 and 0 and they're about to play in kyle field everybody's playing i i I get that i do get the i do get that part yeah and and then it could also come down to both teams are 10 and 2 and whoever wins is making it to the playoff it will Uh, keep more fan bases engaged longer into the year i i do think that is the advantage of that i just feel like four wasn't enough i will grant everybody that four is not enough 12 teams seems to, I feel like they, if they would have just gotten to eight, I feel like we all would have been happy because it would have eventually grown to 12, but eight would have been perfect. And then it would have gone to 12 eventually. But when you started at 12, or at least when your next step is 12, this is only growing, right? Like in 10 years, 15 years, this is going to be 20, right? It's going to be 30 eventually. Like it's, it's going to be, it's just because the money is going to be so much that the only way to make more of it is to add more teams and like, it's just going to keep growing and keep growing. And football is not basketball. Like I don't need, like there are not that many teams that are capable of winning this year. We weren't sure who the best team was, but we knew the whole time, right. It ended up just being the best team all year was Michigan. And they ended up just being Michigan. Right. So like most of the time there aren't four teams that feel national championship worthy. This year was the exception, right. Where Florida state got screwed, but I just, I don't know. Like, it'll be fun to debate 12 versus 13, but I'm not going to give a shit for the 13th team. Like, I'm not, my heart went out for Florida State. Like, my heart's not going to go out for Ole Miss or Mississippi State or TCU or whoever is on the bubble there because they're probably nine and nine and three anyway. And so, uh, uh, this year was SEC versus Big Ten in the college football playoff. And I feel like every single year moving forward, it's going to be SEC versus Big Ten. I'm going to call my shot right now. This, this is my shot right now. The 12-team playoff next year is going to be four SEC teams, four Big Ten teams, one G5 team, one ACC team, one Big 12 team, and then one wild card, right? Like, it is it is not going to allow all of these small schools into this thing, right? It's going to be Liberty and then 11 power teams, nine of which come from one or two conferences like that. We are getting rematches of helmets moving forward. We are not like all of my friends who went to UTSA or Texas state. Like they're all like, yay, finally we have a chance. No, you don't. You don't have a chance. You don't have a chance. If you had a chance, Trey Moore wouldn't be transferring to Texas, right? Like you don't have a chance. You have no chance. You have a chance to get your ass kicked in round one at somebody else's home. That is your chance. And I guess that's cool. But to me, give me a bowl game where you can actually win it 
and end the year feeling good about yourself. Liberty just had its best year ever. They go to they go to the Fiesta Bowl. They get murdered by Oregon, and like, cool, the rich people get checks, but like, it's not like the fans got any kickback. You know what no. I mean? Like, if UTSA makes the playoff next year and UTSA gets a ten million dollar check for making it, I'm not getting any of that. All I get is to watch my team get their ass kicked by Ole Miss or something like that, who took our best wide receiver last year. Like, you know. And so, to me, I, I don't. This doesn't feel like a way to be inclusive. To me, it feels like a way to be even more exclusive. And teams like Alabama and Georgia and Ohio State and Michigan and Texas and Texas A&M, they have a better chance of winning the 12-team playoff than they did winning the 14-team playoff. In the same way that it was easier to win the 14-team playoff than the two-team BCS because you didn't have to be perfect anymore. It allowed Alabama to have the screw-off week and still go win the national championship. Now they get to have the screw-off two weeks, maybe even three weeks, and as long as they're playing their best by December and they have the most depth, they're just going to run over you. Because this thing, to me, is just going to be a battle of attrition, not necessarily talent. Yeah. No, I hear you. It's just, I I just, it's more football, and I like yeah. more football. Again, I'm going to watch, <laughs> I'm gonna watch every snap. I'm going to watch every snap. <laughs> I am in this business. I'm going to write a bunch of stories that like, if you listen to what I just said and you flash forward to like this time next year, I'm probably going to be writing the exact opposite of that. Totally get it. Like I'm not, I'm not acting as if I'm not going to be a hypocrite here. It's just what I worry about. And there's always a give up. When we start talking about things improving and things getting better, we never talk about like what's going to get worse. And there's going to be some stuff we sacrifice for what we're taking. There always is. That's just how the world works, in my opinion. There's going to be some stuff we sacrifice here. I'm not sure we've come to grips with exactly what that is. And I think this time next year, more people are going to be on my side of this deal of like, yeah, this is great. This is fun. I'm watching every single snap. But boy, do I miss Washington versus Washington State in the Apple Cup. Boy, do I miss uh, Bedlam. Boy, do I miss, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, and so we'll have to see, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe don't miss shit. Maybe don't miss anything, you know, like maybe we don't. Uh, but I think that we will. Uh, and we'll have to see what what that residue is um, that we're worried about next year. Lastly, before we close this thing out, the NFL playoffs start this week. I don't know if you are like me, but I always like all my friends. A lot of my friends don't watch the NBA until the playoffs start. And I've always laughed at that. But I've become that with the NFL. Like I just... I have a hard time keeping up with the NFL during the season because I'm just so college centric that last weekend, because I was sick, was the first time I ever I just sat down all year and just watched NFL games throughout the year. Who do you think is going to win the Super Bowl um, and why is it the Houston Texans? <laughs> uh, I think it's the Baltimore Ravens, in my opinion. Uh, they just feel like the most complete team this year. Uh, you know, there's the NFL. I'm I'm kind of like you where I don't really watch uh, until college football is over just because I'd much rather watch college football uh, and, and I don't really need anything other than like red zone uh, to keep track of my fantasy football stuff. And that's my, my biggest motivating factor for NFL during the regular season. Uh, I do love the NFL playoffs, though. It'll be interesting. Obviously, Kansas City hasn't been as good as they have been in the in the past few years. They're still going to be a threat. Uh you know, the Cowboys fans are all saying this is our year for about the 20th year in a row. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I just feel like the Ravens are the most complete team. I think it'll probably be a Ravens 49er Super Bowl. 
Yeah, I think it'll be Ravens 49ers Super Bowl as well, but give me the 49ers. Uh I will take I will take San Francisco uh to win that one. Um it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be we're gonna be cool. Uh I guess the extended playoffs hasn't ruined it for the NFL. Uh, they've added a couple teams in there and hasn't hasn't made it any worse. But the regular season didn't always matter for the NFL anyway. I, I still the thing yeah. that confuses me most about the NFL is the 17th game where like teams aren't 11 and yeah. six anymore. Now they're like 11 and seven. You're like, what? That's not right. Like my yeah, whole life. Yeah. It's like it used to be 10 and six and, and 11 and five. And, and you knew those were playoff teams. Right. Nine and seven was iffy. Uh, now it's 10 and seven, 11 and six. And, and yeah, I, I don't I don't love the new. uh the new numbers for that either. I, I still punch a little bit every time I see it. Are you more Cowboys or more Texans? You grew up in DFW. You now live in Houston. I know you're not like allegiance to these things, but like, where do you lean if that Super Bowl was to happen? Yeah. Uh, as, as a bears chargers fan, right? Like, uh, <laughs> who yeah, do I lean more Your towards? NFL fandom is just wild to me. I can't be accused of being a bandwagon fan. And That's true. That. That's true. You're about to have Jim Harbaugh <laughs> as your coach out in LA, probably. Hopefully, uh, you know. <laughs> but uh, honestly, like the reason I'm not a Cowboys fan is because I don't like Jerry Jones. Uh, so that makes it pretty easy to root for the Texans as, as far as those two teams go. I grew up an Oilers fan. Um, spent my elementary years in the in the Houston area. Was a big Oilers fan. They left when I was in third grade, I I believe. And I have kind of been an NFL nomad since then. I am. Uh, I care about my pocketbook and what I bet on. I, I don't really have a big rooting interest. But Jared Stroud uh, is going to make me, um, and D'Amico Ryan is going to make me a Texan fan. Like I, I can feel myself starting to watch a little bit more Texans and check in on some blogs and see what's I, I can, I, I the can energy feel, is great. There, yes. I, I can feel, I can feel myself dipping a toe into this Texans things. Jared Stroud, uh, me bring like five throws the other day that were just drop your throw. But there was one that was circulating online where he stepped into a blitz through at 70 yards, just right over a safety for a touchdown. And it was like, <laughs> I can't imagine being a Carolina Panther fan right now. Yeah, it's it's made me almost wonder like if CJ Stroud wasn't being held back at Ohio yeah, State. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. My I never understood the Ryan Day hate. Like, come on, guys, what are you talking about? Ryan Day is incredible until CJ Stroud in the NFL. I was like, how the hell did Ryan Day not win a national championship with that guy? Like, what are yeah. we doing here? Um, so it's amazing. Which to it's, be fair, they got close to beating uh beating Georgia there. Yeah, that that's what's so great about college football, right? Like they're they're a missed field goal away from uh playing in the national championship and probably thumping TCU last year, right? In the national championship game. And now everybody wants them fired. Um, and so we'll see how that we'll see how that goes moving forward. Uh he won't have Jim Harbaugh to uh mess around with anymore because I would bet most of my house payment on Jim Harbaugh being in the NFL this time next year. Where do you think he ends up? Do you think it's the Chargers? I think it's the Chargers. I think in LA, you need to make a splash, right? Like it is one of those towns that you need a name in there. Uh, he would love to have that quarterback. Um, so that that one seems like the obvious one to me. The Raiders are always in play because they may splash around some money and just, you know, Vegas and, and the Harbaugh thing. I think those are the two most likely fits for him but i think tennessee becomes one as well with with rabel being gone um so he's got plenty of options just feels like the year in which he will move in uh to an nfl spot because 
the NCAA has no teeth anymore, but they're going to do something to Michigan. And that something is going to be a lot less something if Jim Harbaugh isn't there. If Jim Harbaugh is still there, they got to bring the hammer down. If he's gone, they can be like, well, the guy who was responsible for it isn't here anymore. We're going to slap on the wrist. And so I think winning the championship and knowing what you can do for your alma mater to walk out the door, he almost has to go to the NFL right now. I agree with you wholeheartedly. All righty, bud. That was a uh, that was a good first episode back from 2024. We appreciate everybody listening. Here's a thing I want to put into the atmosphere before we sign off. The NCAA video game is coming back uh, at some point this year. I would love for us to build an Aggie War Pod kind of online dynasty situation going on here where some frequent listeners who want to sign up can play you and i can pick a team nobody can be a and m right we'll just we'll just make that we'll take that one off the table but everybody can pick we'll like pick a conference or something or we can go just g5 or however we want to do it uh where we get kind of a 10 to 15 person uh online dynasty league team here that we can go and just kind of keep up with throughout the weeks of the season. I think that would be a lot of fun. So if you're listening and you'd like to be a part of that, uh, please let us know. Same thing with advertising. If you'd like to be a part of the show in a bigger way, that way uh, we'd love to do that. Especially if you're like a bar or something in a and I, I would love to do some kind of pregame stuff like a day before some shows and stuff like that. Looking at you, Dixie chicken, trying to see if we can get in, <laughs> To that college station doesn't even have to be Northgate. Maybe we find somewhere else. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Just somewhere to house us and to have some have some good. I don't even mean like make like houses in terms of like put us up to stay, but just some place. I mean, to, but you can. Uh, <laughs> but just some some place for us to like have some shows, have a good time. I'd imagine this year I didn't go to as many A and M games. Uh, one, they weren't as good, right? Uh, but also, I was kind of doing that tour that I'm writing a coffee book for. I went to all 13 different FBS colleges in the state. I will be an SEC reporter next year for all intents and purposes. I will basically be on the A&M and Texas beat next year. So I plan to be in College Station for for most of the home games. Um, so I, I would love for us to be able to do some some tailgating stuff and sponsor the tailgate or a show before. The options are open. We're we are open for business uh, for sure. And so please holler at one of us if you are interested in the online dynasty or in advertising or tailgating, any of that kind of stuff going into 2024 because it'll sneak up on us like last year we thought we had a bunch of time to plan things and then all of a sudden the season was happening and that's that's kind of how it goes so the sooner we can do this um the better for jay arnold for mike craven and for dave campbell's texas football and the republic of football we will talk to you next week